0: Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now if you would, please take out your copy of the Word of God and turn in it to Matthew chapter 2. You may have a printed version or you may have an electronic version. That's okay but turn it, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew and the second chapter. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible and turn in the back part to page one, and you would be right at Matthew chapter two. Now, as we begin today, I want to ask a couple of questions. Are you ready? How many of you when you grew up, would say that you grew up in the city? Let me see, see your hands. If you think you grew up in the city. And then how many of you would say, I, I grew up in the country? Let me see. Whoa, more hands on the country. How many of you would say that you grew up in a small town? Let me see your hands. Yeah. Well, how small was it? Well, we actually want to find out how small we can go. So I, I want to ask you, by the way, I have a gift for the person who grew up in the smallest town. So if you grew up in a town of less than 1,000, let me see your hand, a number of you out there. How about less than 500? Let me see your hand staying up. Oh, my goodness, we got a bunch of you. How about less than 300? Keep your hand up. We got a number. How about less than 200? Oh, I see some hands. Less than 100? All right, I got one hand over here. And I, do I have any more hands? I got one hand. How how large was your town? Six. So that was two towns. My goodness. What what was the name of your your town? Newberry. Newberry Springs. Well, I have a special gift for you. It's a gift card from Walmart. It's something you cannot get in a small town. So That's great. Small towns, nothing like it. Well, we've been involved in a a series of messages we've entitled Righteous Christmas. And there are five parts to that. We're going to look at right expectation, which we did last time, right place, right time, right person, and right plan. And today we come to the right place. And, of course, the right place was a very small town In fact, God took a most insignificant village, and from that village produced the most significant person who ever walked the face of this planet. And of course, that little town was Bethlehem. And that's why we sing that song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Now think about it, of all the places that God could have chosen, God chose Bethlehem. Why did he do that? Is there any significance to that? And the answer is yes. And we have an opportunity in this entire series that we are doing to revitalize and rejuvenate our appreciation for the wonder of the story of Christmas. And I pray you'll just join us in that. I would like to read from Matthew chapter 2 the first six verses, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And if it helps you, you can just close your eyes and listen. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, "'Where is the newborn King of the Jews?' We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Now, as we take time today to look at the right place in the righteous Christmas story, we're going to basically do two things. We're going to take a few moments to look first at Bethlehem in history And then we're going to take a few moments to look at Bethlehem in prophecy. So that's what we're going to be covering today. So let's begin by looking at Bethlehem in history. Now, the little town of Bethlehem is located five miles southwest of Jerusalem. And I don't know if you noticed it, even though it's thousands of years later, but Bethlehem was in the news this week. There was a 19-year-old youth by the name of Malik Shaheen, and Malik was killed in an Israeli army raid in Bethlehem. And immediately (coughs) after his funeral, riots broke out in Bethlehem. And that involved Palestinian youth who began to throw stones and Molotov cocktails at the Israeli army. And then the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, responded with tear gas and rubber bullets. Even though it's been thousands of years, we see Bethlehem in the news today. By the way, Bethlehem today has a population of about 25,000 and has been described by one of its mayors as a big prison because there's so many Palestinians there and there's this constant against the Israeli defense forces. We're looking at Bethlehem in history. We see it in history right now. But what I want us to do is I want us to climb into our time machine and go back. And I want us to go back in our time machine to the Old Testament era and to see Bethlehem in history. When you do that, you'll find that Bethlehem is associated with a number of significant Old Testament characters, The first two we want to look at would be Rachel and Jacob. You remember them from way back in the book of Genesis? And what happens is that Rachel is giving birth to a child, and she actually dies in childbirth on the way to Bethlehem. In fact, Rachel ends up being buried in Bethlehem. And if you know the story and remember the story, the son that is being born... To Rachel and to Jacob, we know today as Benjamin. But as he's being born, she is alive long enough to want to be in on naming him. In fact, Rachel and Jacob had different ideas on how to name this newborn son. Rachel said, I want to name him Benoni. By the way, Ben in Hebrew means son of. I want to name him Benoni because she knew that she was not going to make it, which literally means son of my sorrow. But Jacob said, no, no, I want to name him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Now, if we just freeze frame for a moment right there, there's already hints about Bethlehem and what is to come. In those two names, there are hints. There's hints of the cross, You know, the son of my sorrow, and Bethlehem being associated with death. And there's also hints of the throne, the son of my right hand, which is ultimately the title that is given to Jesus eventually. There's hints here of suffering and death, and there's hints here of glory and honor that would come. So that's part of what we see in the time machine as we go back. Another character that is associated with Bethlehem in the Old Testament is the character of Ruth. You remember the story of Ruth. And her husband's family had had lived up in Bethlehem and had come down to Moab, and that's where one of the sons meets Ruth, and they're married. And what happens in the story is that all of the men in the family die, and so Ruth with Naomi returns to Bethlehem. And uh, most of the book of Ruth, the whole book, occurs uh, in Bethlehem. Just the beginning part is down in Moab. And what happens with Ruth? Ruth meets a guy by the name of Boaz, and Boaz turns out to be her kinsman redeemer. Do you see the hints there of what is ahead? The kinsman redeemer, Boaz, from Bethlehem. The kinsman redeemer to come is from Bethlehem. You know, another another key Old Testament character that we see as we go back in the time machine that's connected with Bethlehem would be David. You remember David who became king. And David was born, guess where, Bethlehem. David grew up, guess where, Bethlehem. He grew up tending his father's flock in Bethlehem. And he was anointed eventually as king by Samuel in Bethlehem. So when you talked about the little town of Bethlehem, I mean, to King David, that was something special to him. In fact, when he was king and Israel was at war with the Philistines, at one point the Philistines had captured the area of Bethlehem. And David one day was just reflecting on all of that and remembering his fondness for his hometown. And he was thinking in his mind, you know what? I would love to have a drink from the well that's by the gate of Bethlehem. Oh, man, that water when I was growing up, it was the best. It was the most crisp, cold, delicious, pure drink I've ever had. And he's musing about this, and he's doing it somewhat out loud. And three of his mighty men overhear him, and they say, you know what? We're going to go get the king a drink." So they sneak their way through the lines of the Philistines, and they go to the well of Bethlehem, and they draw out the water, and they bring it back to David. And David is so moved by that. He feels it's not right for me to drink this water. And so he pours out the water on the ground as a drink offering to the Lord. But David is from Bethlehem. And the Messiah who was to come was to be from the line of David. Now it's important as we've gone back in the time machine to to Bethlehem to realize that Bethlehem in the Old Testament era was a very, very, very small town. You know, Bethlehem was Beaver, Oklahoma. Bethlehem was doer America, a very small town. And yet there are divine hints that come from Bethlehem. There was a well-known childbirth and death that happened there. The vaunted Kingsman Redeemer was from there. And it was the birthplace of the king of David, and later there would one come to be ruler in the line of David. So so that's just a little of Bethlehem in history. Now we want to shift over and take a look at Bethlehem in prophecy. In order to do that, we need to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Micah. And it's located uh, at the latter part of the Old Testament, And you have Jonah, Micah, and Nahum, so if you get in the region, you'll be there. But I want to turn to Micah and the very first verse of the book. By the way, if you don't have have a Bible with you, if you take the one that's under the chair and turn to page 658, you'd be right at Micah 1. But in, in verse 1, it gives us the time frame in which the prophecy related to Bethlehem is written. You notice it says in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Micah in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now that gives us the time frame in which this prophecy is written, which was in the 700s B.C. And we have laid out for us in Micah a prophecy about the birth of the future Messiah. And that prophecy is really found in chapter 5, so you need to turn over there. And in particular, verse 2. And verse 2 is the verse that is quoted in chapter 2 of Matthew. Look at it. Micah 5.2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. See, it's because of this verse, the chief priests and the scribes knew. They weren't just guessing. They knew that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Let's just unpack the verse a little bit together. Notice in verse 2. It says, "But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Ephrathah was the small region around Bethlehem. And remember, it's a smaller, smaller, small town. It's smaller than Beaver, Oklahoma. It was smaller than Dewar, America. In fact, what is interesting is, is as they were getting ready to come into the land. Remember how they'd been in Egypt, and now they were going to come in and conquer the land." In Joshua 15, when it talks about the land that was allotted to the tribe of Judah, more than 100 towns are listed there. But Bethlehem is not to be found. And then later on, when Judah is led into captivity in Babylon, and remember, they return from the captivity, we learn that when they came back from the captivity, that Bethlehem was very sparsely populated. In fact, Ezra... 221 tells us there was only 123 men that lived there. So the population of Bethlehem at the time was certainly in the hundreds, never even reached a 1,000. It was a small, small, small town. And yet, God chose an insignificant village for a special reason. That's why when we sing, we sing, oh, what's the next word? Little town of Bethlehem. Now as you look at verse two, at least in English, there's there's two key prepositional phrases we want to note from you and for me. From you. Bethlehem, you little, little, little place, you're barely even on the map. From you, for me, this is God speaking, on my behalf regarding my plan for the world, from you, for me, will come forth one to be ruler in Israel. And then it goes on to say there, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. What's that really talking about? Well, that little phrase, his goings forth, refer to his activities, this future ruler's activities. And he's saying his activities stretch back into antiquity. His activities stretch back to the beginning. This is far more than some ordinary everyday birth that is being predicted. The implication is if someone's being born and and your activities stretch back into antiquity, the implication is deity, deity. This little, little, little town of Bethlehem, this place that was known for a special childbirth and death that occurred there, this little place that was known for the kinsman redeemer who emerged from there, this little place which David grew up and this future ruler would come from the line of David who would be king and would be Messiah. Now, now that's Bethlehem in prophecy. When, When we come to the New Testament and we begin to see this birth happen, this person is said to receive two names. God says, I want you to call, call this person with two names. Number one, this child is to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, emphasizing again deity involved in the birth. And then the second name you are to give to him is the name Jesus. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. The prophecy of Bethlehem all comes down to a person who has two names, Emmanuel and Jesus. And as we're talking about Jesus, I want to highlight two things about him. Number one, he came to die. Jesus didn't simply come to be a great teacher or to be a great example. He didn't come merely to start a worldwide movement, although he was those things and he did that. But he came to die. In Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8, it says this, that though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus, the Messiah, the one predicted to come from Bethlehem, he came to die. Jesus' own words, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. What was Jesus saying? I came to die. I came to die. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, For God the Father made Christ the Son, who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. These events that began, oh, so many years ago, these events that occurred in the little, little, little town of Bethlehem demand a response from us. You know, that was true In the days in which Jesus walked this planet, that these events demand a response, and it's true in our day also. Again, I I share with you the words that come right out of Jesus' own mouth. He said this, I assure you, you can count on this. It's utterly true. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have Eternal life. What an incredible thing that is for someone to know that they have eternal life. Death is our greatest enemy. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. Let me just say that again. They will never be condemned for their sins. Isn't that an incredible thing to think about? They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. Two names, Emmanuel and Jesus. First thing, he came to die. Second thing we want to note is that he is coming again. He is coming again. You know, a phenomenon happens in in the book of Micah that happens throughout the Old Testament, and that is that you have description of the first coming of Messiah, and then you have description of the second coming of Messiah, and they're right side by side. And at first glance, you wouldn't realize that there's actually a big time gap between the two. And the same thing happens in Micah 5. We have the forecast of his first coming, his birth to be in Bethlehem, the little, little town. And then later on in chapter 5, for example, in chapter 5, verse 9, it says that when this ruler comes, he will destroy the enemies of Israel. In verse 11, it says, when this ruler comes, he will remove the military fortifications from Israel. Why? Because there's no need for any fortifications when God himself is present. And then in verse 15... It talks about when this ruler comes, he will judge the nations. He will judge the world. He came to die, and he's coming again. It's just astonishing. It's astonishing what happens in the little, little, little town of Bethlehem. Now, I think there's something important we should all understand. Everyone who has ever been born is going to meet Jesus. Think about it. It's true. That includes all of us. Everyone who has ever been born is going to meet Jesus, the one from Bethlehem. Now we're either going to meet him as our rescuer from sin and judgment, or we would meet him as our judge. Everyone who's ever been born, all of us are going to meet Jesus. We meet him as our savior, or we meet him as our judge. Well, what determines the difference? Well, directly out of Jesus' mouth comes these words. All who believe in God's Son have eternal life. It's that simple. We believe in what he did, who he was, what he accomplished, his death on our behalf. We trust in that. We rest in that. We count on that. And when we believe that, we have eternal life. What about those who refuse? What about those who reject? What about those who push Jesus away? Those who don't obey the Son will never experience eternal life. These are hard words to say, but the wrath of God remains upon them. Everyone who has ever been born is going to meet Jesus you and I would either meet him as our rescuer or we meet him as our judge. Indeed, the little, little town of Bethlehem is the right place in the righteous Christmas story. You know, when I, when I think of Bethlehem, I think about me. And I think about you. You know, in the story of of Bethlehem, God chose an insignificant village, right? To use it in a significant way. And that's where you and I come into this. Because the reality is, men and women, I'm just going to be honest with all of us, on the world stage of the centuries, guess what? You and I are insignificant. It's just the truth. In the world stage of the centuries, you and I are insignificant. However, when we come to know Jesus Christ, as insignificant as we may be on the world stage of the centuries, he is chosen to work in and through us in a significant way. Part of the way that he does that is he comes in and invades our life and transforms our heart. and transforms our destiny. Part of the way that he uses insignificant people like us to work in and through us in a significant way is to use people just like you and just like me to influence the eternal destiny of other people. Because of him, we're not insignificant. That's so vitally important to remember. This truth can revitalize, rejuvenate, and rekindle our gratitude for the wonders of his love. And I pray that you'll stay with us through our whole series so that you can personally experience that in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you again for the word of God. We thank you for the incredible right place of the little, little town town of Bethlehem. And it's no small thing what you choose chose to do through such a little, little, little town. And Father, for any who may be listening who have never yet embraced the person and the work of Christ on their behalf, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the forgiveness that can come, the change of destiny, we would pray that right where there are right at this moment, their heart to the heart of God, they would say, that's what I want to trust in. That's what I want to count on. I know I'm going to meet Jesus. Everyone who's ever born does. I want to meet him rather as my rescuer than my judge. And by trusting and resting in Christ, your destiny can be changed. We pray that it would be. For all of us who know you, Father, we would just pray you would help us to drink freshly, freshly from the wonder of, of his love for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.